Hello and welcome to the Crack Beer Community Podcast. I'm your host Brian, and in this episode of the Brewmaster series, I'll be joined by Bill Laukaitis, head brewer at Rye River Brewing Company. If you're not familiar with the Brewmaster series, this is one for the home brewers and the beer geeks. We invite a head brewer to fully break down the beer recipe of one of their signature brews from start to finish. We also provide a home brew recipe, so if you're a home brewer, you can have a bash at brewing it yourself. In this episode, we'll analyse Rye River's Big Bang and IPA in full detail, talking through everything from its water profile, grain bill, mash and hopping schedule, all the way through to fermentation and packaging. This episode will be slightly different to our previous podcast episodes as it was recorded during a live online event that we hosted previously. We shared the recipe on screen as we chatted through it, so you may hear some references to that. Unfortunately, we can't do that on the podcast for obvious reasons, but the recipe is available to download through the Crack Beer Community website. So please feel free to check it out there, I'll pop the link in the show notes. Located in Selbridge, County Kildare, Rye River have been a staple in the Irish brewing scene since 2013. They've brewed an extensive range of award-winning beers under both the Rye River brand name and under a number of different badges for some of Ireland's biggest retailers such as Lidl, Tesco and Dunn Stores. Big Bang and IPA, which was first brewed as Francis's Big Bang and IPA under the McGargles range, is a 7.1% West Coast IPA. Its initial upfront bitterness quickly gives way and is beautifully complemented by a lingering tropical aftertaste. I think it's fair to say that it has a cult following and legendary status within the Irish beer scene. I won't delve into Bill's background, I'll let him do the honours. Bill joins us live from the Rye River Brewhouse to tell us all about Big Bang and IPA. I begin by asking him to introduce himself and to tell us a little bit about his background. Cool. Hi, everybody. Um, welcome to Rye River Brewing Company tonight. Uh, you've actually got a, a glimpse through the back window of our bar there into the production floor tonight, um, which is cool. So we've actually got a quiet night on in the brewery for once, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, behind me, you might see a few of the lads walking around. They're looping our um, our nitro stout tonight, uh, Eventide, um, which maybe you've gotten to enjoy in the pubs. It used to be uh, Jim's, Jim's Stout under the McGargo's badge, but since we've moved to the Rye River brand and in the pubs, so that's even tied. Uh, great beer. Had one uh, last week when I was off on holidays in the Brazen Head, um, and what it's the time of year for it, isn't it? Um, I myself, though, um, yeah. So I'm. You'll probably picked up. Don't have the most Irish of uh, <laughs> twang kicking about. Um, I'm from. Uh, grew up in Holland, Michigan. Um, but moved over to Ireland about 10 years ago and uh, very quickly in Ireland what do you do but you find your way into um, into a few pubs you're enjoying all the beers you might do that visitor experience at the Guinness storehouse and um, I found my way uh, into the storehouse one day thinking man this would be a fun place to work it drove my homebrewing passion forward uh, as well as like all the beer I'd been loving around the world and this was the seventh country I've lived and worked in, and um, all of a sudden it was like, you know what, it's, it's time to do something more than just with these plastic buckets, and uh, I found an opportunity um, with some friends at the time, uh, Alex had become the head brewer here uh, back then, um, and, you know, he, he gave me a phone call one day and said, hey, do you want to come apprentice in here and learn to brew on more than a bucket, and I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome, so um, came in, and that's really the story of a lot of our brewers here. 
they kind of found their way home brewing, walked in the doors and worked their way up to our ranks from assistant brewers, transition brewers, shift brewers. And so, yeah, I, for the last few years, um, about 2017 or so, 2018, uh, it's all fuzzy. Um, stepped up as lead brewer, head brewer, and um, this is our story. Brilliant, brilliant, great to hear. Lots of hope for people out there as well, for, for home brewers who are, who are tuned in as well and might have aspirations of kind of moving into the industry. It's uh, That's brilliant to hear. Okay, I'm thinking the beer then. I've poured mine. I'm starting to enjoy it already. I can see other people are at it too. Um, yeah, what, what do we got here? First of all, our beer style, I suppose. What, what, what are we looking at? What are we tasting? Yeah, cool. Cool. This is Big Bangin um, IPA, which is a West Coast, uh, American West Coast style IPA. So Big Bangin, you, you probably, it's been around for a few years. I think we launched it back in, in 2016 um, for, a, I want to say it was Alltech, um, you know, the craft beer fest that was happening back then is, is when we brought this beer to life. And, uh, you know, it was, it was cool. It was well received at Alltech that year. It, the, it won the Dublin Craft Beer Cup, which was pretty cool. And um, and we were all real excited. It was that first beer in the brewery, I think, that everybody really was like, man, that's cracking beer. So West Coast IPA is, it's it's a clean IPA um, on the malt bill. It's, it's not weighted down by all the maybe uh, caramel notes that a traditional English IPA uh, would be bringing to the table. Um, so it's light in color um it's it's that it's malty but clean malt and then a, a prominent bitterness um now i mean these can be dialed up to 11 um ours is a little subdued in that respect but today it's quite bitter considering the way that the the palate's gone softer on bitterness in in recent years um so it's your yeah it's your clean good looking golden um Bitter, smooth, very hoppy, uh, West Coast American style IPA. And in fact, I'm, if I remember correctly, I want to say this one was the country winner in Ireland this year for American style IPA in the WBAs this year, which is also, you know, it continues to stay current, even though it's a beer we dropped back in 2016. Yeah, amazing. That's brilliant to hear. And it's understandable too. <laughs> it's absolutely tasting incredible as per usual. I'm going to ask you before we start getting stuck into it and really breaking it down. What is it that you like about this beer most? Like you're obviously brewing it quite often. Like what, what, what makes it keep coming back to it? And for me right now, my favorite thing about it is the fact that it's just jumped into a 3.30 mil can. <laughs> um, this could just be the total American in me, uh, but there's something about enjoying a fresh beer out of, out of a can. It's, it's that bit crisper, that bit cooler um as you're enjoying a mouthful um as it's kind of you know maybe it's a nostalgia thing i don't know um that being said francis has always had that big punchy nose that punches a kind of um i don't know what is it like for me on the nose is pineapple punches out to dank citrus to to a bit of a to a bit of a pine note like it's that's the invitation to this beer for me and then you've got this lovely mouthfeel that's Though it's a it's a it's a beer that finishes you know not with a hefty body behind it it's the body you really taste on this beer is is the alcohol that's present in there you know so that that malt meets that seven percent alcohol and um, and the oiliness of those hops and it just coats the tongue but um, it lingers pleasantly and, and then you're looking at 
hey, it's time for another sip. So then that brings us on to it then. So how do you go about brewing a beer that does all those things, what you just said? Where do we even begin? Yeah, look, I guess, I mean, brewing recipes, the, the first place you're starting is, is with the ingredients. Um, so, you know, it's, it's water, it's your malt, it's your hops, and it's your yeast. Um, so if we want to jump into this recipe, I, uh, let's do it. Um, I guess for me, I would think about, um, I'd think about the malt bill and the hops at the beginning and decide what kind of style of beer uh, that I'm going for and, and look at the malts and the hops that I'm going to use and then kind of tweak the, tweak the water profile to accentuate what we've chosen to put in, put in the beer. So let's start with the grist because that's the way we're going to go down um, through it. So as a brewery here, we've had a big love for Maris Otter uh, as a malt and um, always have. And early on, in, uh, we, we brought over traditionally floor malted malts from Warminster uh, Maltings and their Maris Otter was exceptional. Um, over the years, I've built up a strong relationship with the, with the great crowd at Crisp Malts. And they were also able to offer us a traditionally floor malted Maris Otter from their, um, from their heritage range at their number 19 maltings. Um, so we, we found a great relationship with them as we swapped over to, to their Maris Otter. And um, so that's really the, the core malt behind a beer like this. You're probably quite surprised. You're, you're looking at this recipe from home right now, and that's 100%, uh, that's 100% Marisotter pale malt backbone to this beer. Um, but that's one of the interesting things about Francis. There's a lovely character off good Marisotter, and it's it's a bready, malty sweetness. So that is why it is a great place to showcase a couple hops, um, a couple strong hops that, that you really want to punch on. Um, in this case, um, because this is a homebrew recipe, I threw acidulated malt um, back into it. Now we did brew with acidulated malt at the beginning here at Rye River, um, kind of, you know, really being inspired in our recipe creation through, you know, the ethos of, of some German traditions. Um, but with time, we have moved on to, to tweaking our, our pHs um, with lactic acid. Um, so we can kind of talk about both points as, as we're going through it, depending on how you're brewing at home. Um, but in this case, then about 100 to 150 grams of acidulated malt should should balance out um, that 7 kgs as, as this kind of 26 liter recipe sitting um, to, to get your pH in line as you're mashing in. Um, so again, it's about letting this malt shine. And this is going to be the interesting thing. Uh, if you jump down to the water profile there, a strange water profile for a hoppy beer. OK, um, on this one, we're actually really emphasizing uh, the malt side of our water profile as opposed to the hops. Um, and it's also a very understated water profile as well. Um, again, the the rationale here is that Marisada is a real it's a real key player in this recipe. Um, we're, we're so in love with that malt, we really wanted it to shine on this particular brew. So we actually gave the water profile to boost the malt as opposed to the hops. 
And again, you're going to be throwing enough hops at this brew that the hops are going to come through, which I'm sure you're all smelling and tasting as you're drinking the beer. First thing that struck me, obviously, was like how open you are in sharing this. Like it's incredibly detailed. Like it's, it literally is like a full. Uh, look, now I will be a little bit honest. Um, we have taken the recipe and, and I, when I looked at it, I put my brain back on to my home brewing days. Okay. So this is very much the ethos of, of our big bang and recipe, but I've definitely taken the approach of if I, if I was brewing at home on my plastic buckets and then my, my cooler, my warm box and making this all work, this is the approach, um, that I would take to brew this beer, this style, all of that. In the brewery, there are things that are a little bit different with our ability, um, you know, with pressure rated vessels, stainless steel all around us, our access to a few things that that would I would drive a bit harder. But I wouldn't expect anyone to be to be pushing their home brewing that way right now. Um, I, I know a bunch of people are and there's some really cool equipment out there, but I thought it'd be more fun to bring this recipe into everybody's kitchen. So that's. That's the approach we took on it. But I think when I think about homebrewing, right, I never did many clone recipes myself as a brewer. I did a lot of exploring into raw materials to see that I could understand what I was putting into a recipe so I felt confident to do so um, with time when it mattered. Uh, and with this recipe as well, this is actually one of those great ones. This is a recipe that lets you understand Maris Otter um, because it, that's that's the malt that's showcasing so well. And the two hops that are in it as well, they're hops that play very nicely, which is Simcoe and Mosaic. And, and we'll get to that um, down there in a moment. But I would encourage anybody who's going to try to brew this at home, don't be afraid to look at this recipe as your, your inspiration for that, dial it into your kit. And then also dial it into your taste buds. You know what I mean? Like our efficiencies in our whirlpool and the way it holds temperature and what that allows us to do uh, in the ways that we want to do things, they're a bit different than, you know, than a plastic bucket that you stir in with a spoon. Um, you know what I mean? To get some, some whirlpool action or if you've got a nicer kit and you've got a pump involved and all of that, it's still, it's going to be different temperatures and the ways that we hold things. And we can, we can talk about all of that um through all this if we want but you know just just i'd say more be inspired but you'll see why because we'll we'll talk about a few of those those things that i've left a little open-ended um and if anybody has a specific question i'm happy to jump right in there so we've got our grists um we've got a water profile um again like i said it's soft it's understated and it's it's more aimed at gearing towards uh the towards the chloride content than the um, sulfate, okay? So again, counterintuitive maybe to what you're expecting to see here today. Um, now we're jumping down to the mash, okay? Now, again, when I was home brewing, um, and my buckets are still upstairs in the brewery because even into years in my brewing here, sometimes you'd pull them in on a night shift and you'd have a little, have a little 30 gallon brew going in the background while you were doing other things. No reason to ever stop. Uh, your passion for brewing and learning. Um, in this case, we're looking at um, a mash uh, for a first stand at 65 degrees. So if you're brewing on a simple system, you're obviously, you bring in your hot liquor to a temperature that's a bit warmer than that. And you're going to compensate for the temperature of your mash tun of 
uh, of the malt itself um, so that when you mix things in, if you've got the ability to just make the amount of hot liquor that you need, I would put your salts in um, to bring that up. Now, the biggest thing is, right, if you're brewing at home and you're using your mains water, find a way to strip the chlorine out of that. That's going to ruin every home brew that you ever make. Um, that's the biggest thing. I don't expect you all to have an RO plant like we do here that allows us to take total control of our water profile. Some of you might, which is pretty cool. Um, but if you don't, one thing you need to do is just make sure you have unchlorinated water for your brewing. If you can get the mineral contents of that water as well, that's great because you can build on that and dial your profile a certain way. So buying in water, even, even thinking ahead the day before you're brewing um, and boiling some water, cooling it back down so that that boiling maybe strips a few things out of that water, um, like the chlorine, that, that could be beneficial as well. Takes a bit more planning, a bit more space to keep everything. Um, but that would be a big one, big one in my opinion, that I always took extra steps to make sure I had water I wanted to start with so that all the effort you go into brewing, it's not, it's not ruined before you got started. Um, remember, water is 90 plus percent of, of any beer. You know what I mean? So that's, that's a big ingredient. Then what? You've got uh, so our mass stand. You're aiming for 65 degrees, 65 to 67. Again, this recipe is really designed um, for us on our brew house, our, our louder ton, if you ever get to come tour the brewery, has a, a bit of a unique design in the way of the shapes of louder tons. It's not quite as fat and wide as it should be. So we've always had to adapt our brewing a bit to compensate for that. But, you know, in this case, I'm looking for, I'm looking for that simple conversion, a good conversion range um, to hit all your kind of beta amylase. Um, so 65 to 67, good conversion range, um, 60 minute stand, especially on a homebrew kit, that, that bit of time will make sure that you achieve everything. Now, if you're doing, if you've got the ability to heat up your brew, um, by all means, then just heat it up. If you're having to do uh, infusion brewing, uh, by all means, uh, the sparge water that's mentioned in the, the next step below during the louder, you can heat that up so that you can get a second stand um, to bring you up to that 71, 72, and kind of just play with any alpha amylase conversion that's that's left in that Maris Otter. Um, and again, like we give that a 10 minute stand um, and then you're checking for conversion. So if any home brewer is not doing this step, 100% worth it. You never really, you don't take things for granted. Like it's one thing when you're at home and there's seven, seven kg of malt at stake, but it's a bit different here when there's, you know, anywhere from 500 uh, to a thousand kgs of malt at risk and, and the brew that's going to follow. We also brew back to back. So like our a brew length here at Rye River is 25 hectoliters or 2,500 liters at the moment, but our biggest tank is 200 hectoliters. So we might take anywhere of eight brew lengths to fill one tank. And you definitely don't want to be throwing in a, a dodgy brew that didn't convert. So your iodine step, it's pretty big. You're just taking a small sample, dropping a bit of iodine on it and checking that, um, that it stays orange and it doesn't, it doesn't turn purple or black. 
Uh, that means you've got too much starch present and, and you're not going to see a successful brew in the long run. Then again, if you've got the ability to heat, bring it up to 76, kill all the enzymatic activity that's happening in your mash, let it be stable, let it get chill and get ready for the louder tongue. But if you're doing that double infusion type of brewing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about trying to kill your enzymatic activity. Just, just let it go, let it hold. Um, what you're doing at home, it's, it's gonna work out just fine. Um, in which case, now you're on to your, your loudering step. So if you've got the ability to pump back onto yourself, by all means, you know, work away, give yourself a bit of a rest if anything's been stirred up, and then um, then start your Vorloff and start taking your wart back on top of the bed, letting the bed settle, let it make that natural filter that's going to take your crushed grain. Um, but by all means, let it let it set that bed, let it create that filter when you're happy with the clarity, um, which, you know, could be could be five ten minutes could be 15 20 depending on on your setup then you're ready to start sending it forward little homebrew tip from the past for me if I was ever in a hurry on a brew day or um, or I wasn't confident in in my false bottom on my match tub um, to louder out because I do I would have done the infusions I would uh, I throw one of those nylon dry hop sacks on the end of my hose when I got to the point after my warlock and I could kind of I could kind of catch all those little little bits uh, of barley or protein that I didn't want going forward at this point. Um, so that can be a trip. But again, make sure that you're you're happy with the way you're pouring into things. You don't want to be picking up extra like oxygen at this point. So so just kind of make sure you're not stirring things up too much. And look, start to run off. And uh, if you were if you did the double infusion, you've got that that 15.5 liters, as this recipe is calling for, already in there because you use that to bring your temperature up for that second stand. But if you're um, if you've got kind of one of these nicer kits that's going to allow you to sparge, then you know get to the point where your your liquor is just just a little bit above your grain bed, right? Um, you don't want to disrupt that grain bed. You don't want that grain bed to actually be be pulling from the oxygen that's going to pull in some harsh flavors and tannins from your malt, et cetera. So, so in that case, start sparging when you see yourself getting close, you know, my head, my math on my kit, that would have been about seven liters or so forward. Um, would, would keep a nice little bit of liquor on top of that or warts on top of that. Now you're sparging in your hot liquor. I wouldn't worry about in this recipe, trying to tweak your your um, water profile any further with your sparge water, um, especially if you're not using RO water, um, you'll have mineral content in your water and, and that's gonna be fine. Your sparge, and, and for me, I would slowly run this off. You're not, this is not a race. I know some, some days maybe someone's trying to pull you somewhere, you've committed into that six or seven hours of, of a homebrew day, but enjoy it, sit back, you know, what do they say, have a beer. Um, so let your runoff be slow. Uh, you know, take 45 minutes on, on a kit like yours. We'd, we'd here in the brewery be aiming for about 90 minutes, um, to go forward, all things considered. And, uh, but, but give yourself some time. You don't want to compact your bed. Um, 
by all means, you want to make sure that the water is traveling slow through that um, grain bed so that it's pulling all those sugars that you worked so hard to convert out of that grain because um, you did such a great job just barely cracking that grist. Um, you got that nice bed. Then you're, you're collecting your volume forward. Um, it's homebrew. This is going to take you weeks to make. You got your bucket, take every drop, fill that bucket, know what your, know what your vigorous boil looks like and, uh, and push it. Um, so in that case, then, you know, you're, you're coming to a boil. Um, funny story. First time I ever homebrewed. I was so excited. And, you know, I was transferring, transferring the water and, and I had my little Pico boiler and I was like, man, all right, it's, it's getting there. It's getting to the, Getting to the fill level of that element, I plugged that thing in and I scorched that element. And I mean, I was probably creating ozone. I don't even know what. Um, I finished that brew out anyways. And uh, my first beer I ever home brewed was a wheat, American wheat. And um, let me tell you, it was a smoked American wheat. It tasted like an ashtray. It was terrible. Um, I still drank it all. Because I was proud I'd made it. Um, but so like that, if you're only getting into the game, don't get too excited. Don't try to get ahead of yourself. Don't worry. You've got time. So don't go plug in your boiler and your element in too early. Um, but yeah, so then in that respect, collect your volume. You know, if you do want to save some time when you see that you've got a reasonable volume in your, your, your kettle, by all means, start to heat it up. We do the same here, um, by all means, and uh, as we get on and we know what the, the flow rate is going to be for the rest of it. Um, and then you're pretty much waiting to get to a big, heavy rolling boil. Um, so now you're in the you're in the work kettle. Um, you, you'll see on my recipe sheet uh, here that we it's all about tracking times, all that information um, that's really going to help you for additional brews. You can't write down too much. You'll see in every section there's there's room for notes. Um, learn from it, and and you really dial in your system, your efficiencies, all of that, and you'll find every brew day gets less and less and less stressful because you start to do it in your sleep, which is pretty cool. That being said, you're a brewer making beer. Nothing ever goes to plan. Every day is the wildest day of your life. So you're in the kettle. You're heating up. Um, in this case, look, we've got that simple malt bill. Um, we need a vigorous boil for 60 minutes. Um, again, you know yourself, your efficiencies. If you think you'd be a bit of a push to get all of that out of uh, that amount of malt, you can either adjust the amount of malt that goes into your mash. You can boil a bit longer if you want to dial in your gravity. Taking a first wart and a last wart reading as you're going forward is going to give you a bit of a clue of your curve, of your drop off. You never want to kind of run too close to water just to get volume or anything if you're over sparging, if you're in that place, that step as opposed to an infusion. Um, so things to think about. Um, you're boiling. So in our case, for this recipe, we're going with the 60-minute boil. Uh, first wart hopping as a home brewer was something I was very passionate about. Um, it's not something that makes as much sense to me in the commercial mm -hmm. sense, but it 100% made sense to me in, in the home brew sense. So um, that can be a great thing. Also, the kind of hot contact might make it so your boil, as it reaches that rolling boil, isn't going to be um, as prevalent to boiling over the edge of your bucket. So that could be beneficial. 
But honestly, this first edition for your your what I'd call your veteran edition on a recipe like this is um, is all about whacking it in there during boil that first kind of 60 to 40 minutes. That's where you're really working on your isomerization, uh, those alpha acids. At that point, then this this recipe is a fun one. You're you're just sitting back. You're you're kind of on easy street. It's an old, it's it's old school recipe that's kind of straightforward. A lot of lot of IPAs today only start hopping in the last 10, five minutes or flame out. Um, not not big banging. Um, so in this case, maybe put a bit of yeast nutrient in if that's zinc, if that's cervomyces. Um, and the last kind of 10 minutes of your boil, it's only going to help your yeast be happy, be healthy. A uh, bit of protoflock or, you know, uh, kerogen, um, Irish moss, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, to clarify out your hot break a bit more and then look, get yourself into your whirlpool. So, again, depending on your kit, if you're transferring across and you can get a very good whirlpool going, throw your hops in. Um, you know, it depends on your system. Uh, you do want a good whirlpool going when you throw this 55 grams of, of hops in so that one, they contact all of that hot work, but two, they're also going to fall down so you're able to pull that away um, without making a big mess of things as you try to run it off in a moment. Um, for us, we have a very hot whirlpool, okay? Um, we transfer from the kettle, we go to the whirlpool, and unless I run some special tricks, we're probably sitting it up in the high 90s. Um, so I consider significant isomerization still picked up um, at this point in the process for a recipe like this. At home, that might be a bit different um, by all means, and, and your heat loss in this stage might be a bit more significant. So Again, you'll you'll kind of know things to taste. Um, taste is king. Um, so if you know you're brewing and you're not getting as much bitterness from your whirlpool, that's very cool, and you're just getting those aromatics, then you might want to end up playing with this recipe a little bit and throwing in a 10-minute addition um, or a 20-minute addition to boost that up um, so that you fall in line. We're saying you're shooting for a mid-60s IBU target on this beer um which is cool it comes out with a nice nice bitterness balance against the the abv um for me as a brewer staring at your bu gu ratios is is a good way to understand things as opposed to just staring at at your ibus um you know and not taking into account everything else that you you put that effort into the ratio and uh, the recipe isomerization what do they say? It's um, about 79 degrees Celsius uh, or above that you're kind of picking up your, your isomerization. So just factor that into your whirlpool. And if you're sitting, if you're sitting above 80 degrees, you're picking up bitterness. If you're below, you're not, and, and you're keeping a, a bit more oil content from being volatile and, and flashing off. And then you're look, you're ready to pull this off. Um, cool it down, obviously, to your yeast pitch and temp. Uh, so whatever type of, of heat exchange you've got to cool things down on, I think for my kid, it was, it was a bit of copper piping, you know, running some cold water through it, but there's much better stuff that home brewers have access to today. Um, cool things down, 
Again, now you're at the point where sterility really matters on everything that's going to touch your work. You don't want all this effort that you've just spent the last five hours on um, anything being compromised and taken before that lovely yeast that you've probably been getting ready um, takes. So now everything that touches, if you're going to throw a thermometer in there in any capacity um, because you're home brewing to, to make sure that you know that you're down at a good temperature for cooling your work, make sure it's sterile. Um, if you're, when that spoon's going in to do any whirlpool and make sure it's sterile because you wouldn't want to be compromising that wort once you start getting to lower temperatures, right? Um, you run that off slow, you try to leave your hot break behind and you've probably um, started your yeast, uh, hopefully, um, the, the day before or even um, when you got some wort early on. So uh, yeast for a brew like this, you want to clean, clean fermenting yeast. Um, so look, we've got a house strain. That's, that's what we're using for our ales and our dry hop beers around here. Um, but I would recommend some of the following strains for a recipe like this, uh, maybe USO5, your classic, you know, clean fermenter, but Chico, um, some English dry ale yeast, or, um, look, I'm a Midwest boy. Uh, from White Labs, you can get a Midwestern ale yeast. I was always a big fan of it. Brewery from around my neck of the woods is, is well known for creating some great IPAs with it. So, you know, those are fun yeasts to experiment with. Um, for a beer like this, I would say you're, you're with a reasonable original gravity target at 1065 there. So you're definitely going to want to do a starter, not just pitch a pack in. So you can make a one liter starter with some malt extract the day before. Um, ideally, if you've got a stir plate, um, have a stir bar in there, whack it on your stir plate, pitch in 1040 gravity um, wort and, and grow that up uh, for 24 hours will be plenty. Um, if you don't have a stir plate, don't worry about it. Just every time you walk past the thing, give, you, give your vial a good shake. Um, let it suck some air in and uh, you'll, you'll be surprised um, keeping it warm again on 18, 19, 20 degrees for that day. And that thing will be rocking in the morning. You'll be real excited. If you don't have the time to do that, when you were back at your um, getting your first work or whatever, run a little bit of that off, just enough to make a vitality starter, um, which all you're going to do is take a bit of work. Make sure you get it watered down to about 1040 because your first run-ins are, are going to be significantly stronger. And, and boil that up on your on your hob, on your stovetop, and, and cool it down with a cold water bath and uh, and get it into something that's sterile. Pitch your yeast in and give it that kind of four-hour start to start growing while you're finishing off the rest of your brew. That's, that's a big step that'll even get you around or if you had a dodgy uh, yeast pack that you know, was maybe past its past that ideal uh, pitching date. Things like that might get you back in the game. Yeah, now you're pitching your yeast when you're confident that you've got your wort in your fermenting vessel. You obviously want to oxygenate on the way. Look, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I kind of went bucket to bucket, or or sometimes when I was straining off, I had my bucket sitting up on a chair on top of a table. And it was then splashing into my sterile fermenter bucket below to pick up as much oxygen as I could. We've obviously got pure oxygen bottles here. 
um, that we're infusing is we're sending to a fermenter, um, get a good bit of oxygen in there, get that big, big frothy foamy head going, pitch your yeast in, put your airlock on or a blow off hose onto your fermenter and sit back and watch things kick off. And then um, look, for me, a target fermentation temperature for a beer like this, if you don't have the ability to control temperatures oh too well, shoot for a, a good just under diacetyl clearing range, like 19, 19C, be something cool for a beer like this. And then start checking your gravities. Um, and for a beer like this, it's a single dry hop, but it's a big dry hop there. So again, you've already thrown Simcoe and Mosaic into the Whirlpool um to kind of punch things out you're getting you're getting a bit of bitterness from that um the way i'm calculating it um because we would uh if you think you're going to get less like i said make those adjustments and that's your first introduction to a bit of you know mosaic bringing you that citrus stone stone fruit tropical to, to simcoe bringing you that stone fruit bit of uh, bit of pine um coming through but then your yeast is going to it's going to play with all of that. It's going to ferment out your home brewing. You don't have, maybe you do, maybe you don't have the ability to, to purge things as well later in the game. So get your dry hop in there before your fermentation is done. Um, obviously you don't want to scrub everything off all the effort that you're putting in there. This isn't a recipe that's written around biotransformation or anything. If, if, if you're kind of brewing your, your more modern uh, NEPAs and stuff like that at the moment. So, all you're trying to do is make sure you get your hops in there where that yeast is pretty active. It can still scrub off a bit of oxygen that might be picked up because you're just banging them in the top there. Um, also, so that uh, the yeast has that energy to clean up any of that diacetyl that's being formed. This is definitely not a beer that wants a single note of diacetyl on top of it. You, you want those hops to be punching when it's said and done. And then it's up to you about um, about what you're going to be doing next. Are you sending it to keg when you package it? Is it going to bottle? Do you need the yeast in there to still be present for your priming sugar, um, for your carbonation? Are you going to have a second yeast strain that's going to help you get on with that? That's going to decide all your steps as you get to your packaging phase. Um, I'm going to I'm going to leave you know that into your expertise because you you know your your home setup thank you so much bill that's that was an incredible run through that uh, absolutely brilliant and thank you so so detailed from start to finish a couple of questions here i'm going to jump to and um, we had one in uh, asking what's servo servo mycetes it's basically um dead dried yeast um which is uh, allowing the yeast that's going to be in your brew to to eat that to get its nutrition so we buy that in, um, I want to say Lalleman, um makes the strain that we buy in. If you're not doing that, it's probably easier to get your hands because that can be expensive. Um, if you've got some yeast from another fermentation, you could throw that into the end of a boil and it's um, going to kill it and there's going to be some protein there. Um, another thing that you could do is, is buy a bit of zinc and, and that'll, give, uh, that'll give you something to feed on. Um, you mentioned you're aiming for kind of mid 60s IBUs on this. One thing that surprised me was it was, I suppose, the I won't even I don't want to say the, the lack of early hop additions, but um, what, what brought it up to 65 IBUs, I was surprised that there's a lot of extraction coming from the whirlpool, is there? There is on our kit. 
Okay, so that was the thing that I was trying to draw attention to there is, is we sit in the high 90s. Okay, so if I, if I sit some more in there for 20 or 30 minutes, I'm really going to get a lot of extraction because I'm still sitting in the high 90s when it's done. That might be something that in the homebrew scale, you want to sit there and, and look at. You might not get the same extraction, but take the same two hops, whack them in at a five or 10 minute addition. There's great calculators out there for dialing that in. Um, so for me, you've got to, I'd be happy with that bittering charge. You really want to be pulling as much from the rest of the character of this recipe at the end of the boil and in that whirlpool, because that's where you're keeping those flavors and those aromatics. For me, um, for me, you could throw in any hop back at 60 minutes. You're just, you're just grabbing your, your isomerized alphas, uh, acids at that point. Um, I suppose a question in general here about limiting oxygen when you're when you are dry hopping. Uh, would you have any recommendations for us? What sort of time you do to try and limit oxygen? I've I've seen it all. I've heard of some interesting lads. Some have worked here. Some have been in other places. Um, I've seen I've seen containers that can store CO two modified so that they can they can slowly trickle in. Look, if you're serving. If you're serving beer on draft at home, you, you've got access to CO2. Um, you know what I mean? You could use a bit of your draft tech to slowly purge the top of your vessel as you're pouring your hops in and top things back up. Um, that would probably be, I'd say, what you'd have access to because, you know, that's the stuff you're using at home. If it's past that, um, and like I said, get them in there. Get them in there when you've got at least five points left in your fermentation. Let the yeast scrub that little bit of oxygen out. Uh, let the make you know. Let the yeast be active enough. I, that that'd really be my advice on that. If you're, you're keeping it simple, has the recipe changed over the years? Um, there's a comment there. I could have sworn there was some melanoidin and some Columbus in there at some point. There was Columbus in there, um, and there still is. But again, I, I took the approach to this recipe in terms of simplifying it. So the Columbus that's in this beer is in, in the bittering edition. But like I said, you're getting nothing from that edition. Columbus is a cheaper hop for us to buy as a brewery type of thing. So what you're achieving there on our scale isn't probably as prevalent. What's cheaper to you potentially on a homebrew scale is I'm buying 100 grams of mosaic, um, you know, in a little pouch. So I'm thinking about how am I going to use that one or 200 grams of mosaic for the best to bring this recipe to life. In terms of melanoidin, no, never in this recipe. That, that makes perfect sense with the hops as well. Brilliant. Thanks for clarifying that. How long do you recommend for the dry hop? Well, it depends on what your next step's going to be. Um, I wouldn't recommend that long personally, but then that means that you need to get that yeast into a racking bucket or you need to take these extra steps. When I homebrewed, I would have left it until I was ready to bottle. Um, you don't have enough weight on it or anything pressure on it um, in, in a batch size like this that you have to worry about yeast autolysis or anything of the likes, not from my experience homebrewing anyways. Um, so what I would say is get the hops in there, see that you go terminal, then decide if you have the ability to crash condition or not. Um, we would do that here in the brewery, but that might not be beneficial to you if you're counting on that yeast to finish the job 
when you're going to be adding your priming solution for bottle or kagan. Um, so it's just about what your next step's going to be, which is kind of why I I stopped speaking at that point in time. But it's almost got a very specific um, question. I'm, I'm happy to try to try to field how how I do it at home. Another one from Mark there. What's your carbonation level and temperature for serving? Oh, that's a that's a good one. Um, so if you go back to me talking about the taste of this beer uh, a bit at the beginning, um, you've got this lovely malt character. You've got this, what I consider an oiliness from the hops, and you've got that 7% of, of alcohol in there. So even though we did a simple um, simple mash stand for kind of your, your beta amylase conversion, you're not... You're not really using the malt and the complex sugars to bring the body. You still have a significant body on a beer like this, right? And that's because of, of the alcohol and, and the hop oils that are present. So you do need a bit of carbonation um, to match that so that you enjoy, enjoy the mouthfeel um, of the beer uh, to its fullest. So probably 2.4, 2.5 volume territories, pretty good place to get to. We have losses in our processes because of the way we're bottling. If you guys are bottle conditioning or take carbon, you're not going to have losses along the way. You're kind of doing the math and working it out exact. So I'd say um, 2.4 is pretty good, pretty good target for a beer like this. Finally, I think I want to just jump back up to the very first uh, question that came in from Richard. When you're experimenting with new ingredients, uh, do you brew like a small homebrew scale at home and then scale up? Or, or how do you go about doing it now? Different times in my life a hundred percent um but not as much these days um and that's why i would sit there and say when 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 i approached homebrewing my my quest on it was very much about gaining knowledge from the ingredients i was using so that when i got to stand in the kitchen eventually i would understand you know what was on the table in front of me and, and I would hopefully understand how to put those things together and pair them together, which is why clone recipes are great. Um, but again, have a purpose, especially if you're pursuing one. Obviously, there's a point in brewing where everything's just about hygiene and you need to know that you can do that and be consistent. Then there's a point where everything's about repeatability. And then there's a point where everything's about understanding what you're putting into your beers so that you can get that effect. Um, or push that a different way. Brewing's probably the only thing I've stuck at for this long <laughs> in, in my entire life. And it's because of the fact that like, it's, it's never ending on, on what you'll learn or what you'll draw from um, with, with all the things that are going on in the fermentation. Taste every step along the way, taste your wort, taste your fermentations as they're going, especially if you're gonna be reusing yeasts um and stuff like that get to get to know every step along the way get to know it on your palate because you know until you can buy expensive um equipment to kind of aid you in analysis literally this is this is number one and it'll always stay number one is is, is your mouth and your nose because that's what you're doing it for you know what i mean um be make sure that you want to drink what you brew i'd like to thank bill for taking the time to join us and i'd like to thank you for listening Bill's experience, talent and passion for brewing is clearly evident and he's no doubt been instrumental in helping Rye River grow from strength to strength. 
As I mentioned at the top of the show, the Big Bang and Homebrew recipe is available through the Crack Beer Community website if you'd like to check it out further. The beer community in Ireland is an amazing space full of so many fantastic people. At Crack, we aim to champion independent brewers and everyone else involved in the independent beer scene and support them as best we can. If you'd like to learn more about Crack, you can get involved in the beery discussion at crack-beer-community.ie. It's free to join and always will be. You can also check us out on Twitter, at Crack Community, and on Instagram, at Crack Beer Community. As a final note, if you enjoyed the podcast, then please feel free to rate it, and also subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new releases. So that's it for now. Thanks again for listening, and Slauncha. you.